Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Really dumb. James Bond is coming back to the big screen in cinemas in the UK, and we're hoping to go to every one of the 25 films. Join us as we celebrate the 60th anniversary of our favourite British agents by watching them all in order. We hope you guys are watching them too, so please let us know your thoughts. You can find us on social media at Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, and our podcast is available on iTunes and Spotify, as well as video episodes on YouTube. Simply search for Really 007 Pod. Because we are so obsessed with Licence to Kill, and amazingly, all you Bond fans are too, we had to give you a second chunk of reviews, thoughts, and just being in awe of what we think is the greatest James Bond film ever made. Here's more on Licence to Kill. Dad, you sure you got the titties? Relax, Samuel. (laughs) (laughs) And and that was basically the conversation all the way to the cinema in the car. Um, before we went to see the wonderful 1989 classic of Licence to Kill. Now, I saw this in 2015, watched it on VHS all the way through the 90s and what have you, but I'd seen it on the, in the cinema, um, and this was my first time in the cinema with Sam um, actually experiencing Dalton on the big screen, because you've seen him, haven't you, Sam? Yeah. Living Daylights, yeah. Licence to Kill, obviously. <laughs> the only two. Yeah. The only two we've done. We've done them to death. But this was your first time seeing them in the cinema. So let's start with a couple of takeaways from Licence to Kill as far as you're concerned in terms of, well, in terms of whatever you took away. What did you think? Oh, I, I thought I thought it was brilliant. It was, it was just, it was amazing. Like, really captivating and it pulled me in constantly but the main main thing i take away from it is how good of an actor robert darby is to be honest i I just can't believe how relevant his character was uh and it was it was all it was 30 years ago yeah and it's it's incredible how maybe times haven't changed you know that that was the case then and when you look at the media now like it's still the case now yeah um and yeah robert darby he, he pulls it off Incredibly, I mean, he's he's a wonderful actor. Um, he's had a lot of a resurgence in in social media recently, and people lauding his performance in in License to Kill. 
But that's interesting to say that you're, you know, you're 15, but from what you've seen across, uh, you know, what you know now in terms of what the news is, in terms of what social media is and stuff like that, he's he's as prevalent a villain as he could have ever be. Yeah. You know, and that's, exactly. that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, another guy that I thought was really, really quirky and then just... A real, a really, a real miss to be honest as well because we didn't see as much of him. Was Benicio del Toro? Yeah, Dario. Dario. I, I, I liked his character. He was, he was young. He, he looked like he was full of life, full of life, but obviously in a, in a terrible a, way. A nasty. <laughs> very, yeah, very nasty. Very yeah. nasty way. Full of life in a nasty way. Yeah, he absolutely was. And of course, he's there as the the henchman, as we understand it, yeah. in the Bond. Kind of uh, frame of things that he's there to 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 back up the bad guy and be his number enforcer. his enforcer his enforcer exactly and um, and there's a couple of interesting moments in License to Kill where you you kind of meet Benicio del Toro in a couple of a couple of scenarios first of all we see the 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 knife be produced because he's gonna kiss out the man's heart and then you see him in the the bar a little bit later on and you get the shit. From Carrie Lowell, yeah, who's uh, playing Pam Bouvier. Another brilliant you, you, performance as well. Exactly, you loved her as well, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, she was really. I, I mean, I've never seen her. In, haven't seen her in anything else. So that was the first no. thing I ever ever saw her in. She was, yeah, she was amazing. She is. I mean, she really holds it up as well. And there's there's a few things that happen in the cinema which you don't really appreciate when you're watching it in, on, on the home uh, screen or you know, video DVD whatever. There's a lot of little looks that she gives. Throughout, yeah. especially when she walks in as the executive secretary, and she did yeah. all that stuff. And you know, regardless of what Dalton does, um, her little looks to him, and you get that feeling that you know she's, you know, she knows how to play yeah. the game as well as Bond does. Exactly, you know, yeah. and it's yeah, it's really nice to see that. So yeah, so Benicio del Toro, as a henchman, a little bit underused maybe. Yeah, but he's still there. He's, he's um, still there, and it's nice. I think that actually, as you approach that climax, that he's. He's kind of the one that unravels. So when you think about how Dalton plays it in Licence to Kill compared to how you've seen it in Living Daylights, when you see him actually living and breathing a loss and 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 that that vengeance that's going on, you know, not just in the in the eyes, but in kind of his whole demeanour changes in a number yeah. of different scenes. Yeah. What really drew you in to how Dalton plays Bond? I think it's I think it's how relatable he can be. I mean I haven't exacted revenge on a drug cartel. No, of course you know. No, no, I, I wouldn't expect you had. I mean um, not yet. No, you're a nice lad and I wouldn't yeah. expect you to ever do that really. Yeah. Or be in the environment where you had to. Yeah. Um, exactly. I think that's that's probably what I want to say there. But um, no, it is relatable. You you could feel his pain. I mean any loss of anyone in in your family, but also to do with James, he doesn't have anyone. Like the the last thing that um, Felix says to Della, he says, "Oh, he was married once, but that was a long time ago." Bond doesn't have anyone except he doesn't have anyone except Sharky, Della. Well, we meet Sharky, and we meet Sharky, yeah. But and then uh, eventually, it's. I think that's I think that's a really nice angle because actually, you know, you you don't actually come to it from that point as a I don't know as a as a follower of, of of Bond as a as somebody who just you know watches watches the films either as a fan or as somebody who's just paying your ticket to go and see a Bond film. Yeah. You're expecting a Bond film. But that's a massive point is the fact that actually the character that you're watching and it's re- it's actually really quite sad. Yeah. 
is actually that the guy he, he hasn't really got any friends he's, he, um, he has no one he hasn't got any friends he's, he's, he has got the people he knows and the people he trusts he's been married to somebody that he loves who got killed immediately yeah. but that's that's a really good point I mean that's that, that's a devastating point for the character yeah is the fact that he doesn't really have any real friends yeah and that's that's horrible that is horrible but, but when he's faced with the situation where the only people he has got are, are threatened maimed killed you know whatever why why shouldn't we come on this journey with him yeah to, to go and to go and sort that shit out yeah you know I mean that that's massive yeah and it, it is actually this is his story here right yeah. now for these two hours this is his story yeah and Bond is about to go on this mission of his own of his own volition yeah to go and right the wrongs that he's he's been subjected to yeah exactly so wow why not jump over a balcony after kicking two MI6 guys in the, yeah. in the stomach or exactly. smack around the head and, and jumping over? And, and and there's that nice point where you get Robert Brown sort of like saying, you know, he's, he's, he's telling him not to shoot. There's, you know, there's too many people around. Don't don't shoot, you know. Yeah. Stop it. And then he says, God help you, Commander. And I think that's a lovely line yeah. because I think it's meant in a way. I, th- yeah. I, th- I think he really does. He, he knows it in the same way that they tried to manufacture that a little bit with with the Judy Dench and yeah. Daniel Craig. Is actually you've got him there who is actually looking after Bond in a certain way. And yeah. after all of that, he's actually God help you, Commander. Yeah, yeah. He's kind of he, he's there with him. Exactly. Um, a couple of other things then. So for you, I know you loved a lot of the stunt work. Yeah, and. You know, from from the helicopter at the beginning to the tank chase at the end, everything in between. And I remember you nudging me in the cinema when he did the water skiing behind the plane. Yeah, and all that uh, kind of stuff. I think that and in the living daylights, uh, out hanging out of a plane, holding on by just the the ropes as well. I think those two, um, my favourite stu- uh, stunts. Not not only in Timothy Dalton's film, but I would also say in the whole of. The every James Bond film in all the films that you've in seen. all the films I've yeah. seen they're they're both just just perfect from the, from the soundtrack to the to the tension <laughs> and then and then the resolve at the end he's hanging on to this plane yeah but and just his, yeah, his broad yeah. strength it's it's amazing yeah it is it is all about that isn't it it's it's about the tenacity of him which is something that you see in like some later spy films and the tenacity of actually just going for something and something coming out of all all proportion but when you watch Timothy Dalton's films and and the fact that again back to like kind of John Glenn's direction and second unit and all that kind of stuff yeah you know actually in License to Kill there is rarely a moment of of rear projection yeah putting a film behind somebody like as you understand it in terms of the the only time you do see it really is when Dalton is is kind of hanging out of the the plane of the plane door and he, he gets kicked back yeah and they have to have that that close shot and you can see the the, the sea and everything behind him. Yeah. Um, but that's really the only rear projection in License to Kill. Yeah. That actually, you know, makes the stunt work just slightly go out of kills, but it's not a problem, you know. Yeah. The rest of it is just pure craft. Exactly, yeah. So that's wonderful. Um, finally, let's talk a little bit about the music. So the music um, basically kicks off right from the gun barrel and it doesn't stop. It, it doesn't. It doesn't stop. It doesn't. It doesn't. Stop. It hardly stops. 
there are a few moments where it's slightly quiet or it's it's understated or it's under, or it's not scored at all but they're they're very very small elements exactly. of the film yeah they're 30 seconds here and there the rest of it whether it's a long draw across cellos whether it's a harp pluck in whether it's um a, a full-blown overture yeah. of, of either Bond theme or something that just complements the, the whole sequence. Like, I love the... Um, this may sound a little bit strange, but the, the whole scene where Bond escapes from Sanchez's apartment in yeah. Isthmus and, yeah. um, and uh, Loopy drops the handbag and off he runs down the, yeah. down the steps. And it's like... Doom, doom, yeah. Doom, doom. And it's all Spanish guitar and stuff like that, which is funny enough, a, a, a cue which is called Pam, which which actually works into their section of the yeah. more. But, but everything is everything is scored and it's almost this wonderful sort of there's an overture that yeah. starts and it never lets up <laughs> yeah. it's all the way through the film fantastic um, last thing thought um, and a rather comedic one yep. is that um, I think that Timothy Dalton when he was on set with Lupe uh, Talita Sozo who played the character um, I think he loved that journey up the side of Sanchez's um, apartment in the yeah. little funicular, yeah, in a little, yeah, a little cable car thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. How you mean, yeah. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if at one point, um, off camera, Timothy probably said something like, "Well, this is like the Fastidiog Railway." <laughs> Going up Snowden. Anyway, <laughs> lovely, nice Brilliant. and still. It was fantastic. Yeah. Good night. See ya. So. Myself and my brother Harry are on our way to watch Licence to Kill at Leeds Kirkstall. Yes, that's the place. The View Cinema there. Um, we're both very excited. Now, I had the pleasure of going with um, some of the really 007 crew and then meeting up with lots of the um, James Bond Twitter fandom to the Prince Charles uh, Cinema back at the end of May to watch Licence to Kill but Harry wasn't able to go so Harry was it was it sort of sad and frustrating that you weren't able to the day I realised that I wouldn't be going was a few weeks or maybe even longer before that and that was a a great day of sadness a grey cloud was hanging over me um, but over time I um, I started to change that and just become really excited for all of you guys and all the Bond fans that were getting to see it and just thinking about how good it was to be there was a moment where Licence to Kill was being shown at the cinema and you know this it's remarkable that one film was being shown at the cinema and it's another reminder that how good and how fortunate we've been to have a whole franchise Mm -hmm. shown and so although I was sad to begin with I was just thrilled that you guys were getting to see Licence to Kill at the cinema now I have that pleasure and I I absolutely cannot wait yeah I mean it, it really was it was an absolutely terrific experience a great day and you know to see it on the big screen was wonderful obviously this is slightly different because it's more low-key it's you know just you and me um but i you know i really can't wait and in some way you know i can't believe how far we in we are in to the um to the franchise and it it marks the end of an era really you know we're we're at the final john glenn film the uh the final of, of tim's two um so yeah i mean how, how, how are you feeling? I mean, are you excited? Are you, you know... Well, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I'm well, to be honest, I, I didn't quite appreciate it until you mentioned that about it being the end of the John Glenn era. I am sad about that. I'm pleased I've 
I found it harder to make these uh, showings, but I'm pleased that I've managed to make two of the John Glenn ones. Yeah, the first and the yeah, it was, yeah, it Fiora. was only a Moonraker, um, and absolutely loved the experience. And I didn't get to see Living Daylights, of course, so I'm very excited to see Timothy um, as James Bond on the big screen. That's a big moment for me. So yeah, I'm. I'm I am. It's it's um it's a different kind of John Glenn in many ways, like yeah. the. I know Fiona is only seen as a more serious one, but both that and Moonraker, what I love about them is how comfortable they are, how, not cosy, but how safe and, you know, uh, familiar they are to me, and that's, they're some of the main reasons why I love that film, uh, those films, and although Licence to Kill is a bit like that, that's not the reason really that it's one of my favourites Licence to Kill is obviously a lot grittier, darker, darker and edgier so it's not quite it's not quite as that, you know, the Sunday afternoon John Glenn, Roger Moore Mm. combo that I've seen last last time around. This is, you know John Glenn signing out with you know, stepping into the late 80s, early 90s action genre at its absolute fullest and even just, you know, that aside from James Bond, I can't wait to see an action film from that era at the cinema and I know some people might sort of that's some people's criticism that it feels a bit like a sort of John Mateen and Michael Kamen film um, and you know the, the the quality of the cinematography is perhaps a, a little bit uh, more American but that's never been a problem for me at all I love how it looks I love how it sounds and like I've said so many times I love when all the Bonds have their own unique Packaging, License to Kill has that with the music, with its style, and and it's. I, th- I think Chris did a series of posts on Twitter about it, sort of being a almost noir film, and just that that idea of characters doing stuff to each other to tell the story. You know what what's done to Felix and the revenge. It's a it's a great story to uh, to look forward to, um, and yeah. So it's got all those individual elements that make it unique but at the same time it's a James Bond film it is most certainly a James Bond film it feels like a James Bond film to me no doubt about it Timothy Dalton is an amazing James Bond and he's obviously got Q who, who supports him in a, in a way that he's never really supported Bond before uh, sort of on the field which is going to be really great to see um, obviously there's the brilliant scene with M the, the confrontation where um his license is revoked. Um, I, I, you know, I can't wait to see that. There's, just, there's so much I, uh, I can't wait to see. And then, quite strangely, it's, you know, there's the, obviously the, the gap. There was the gap in real life before Goldeneye, but after this, it, it, you know, it changes again a little bit after this in terms of how it looks, how it feels, and obviously you've got Pierce Brosnan. So, it's, it's, it's a bit of a one-off license to kill. Yeah. Um, and I'm just so pleased that. Having missed it, however long ago it was, I'm getting to see it tonight. And with you, Matt, I'm looking forward to seeing it yeah. with you. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, good stuff. Um, obviously, I just also wanted to mention, I mean, we were very, very fortunate to have spoken to a good number of um, the people involved with The Living Daylights, which was last week's film. Yeah. But obviously, maybe not quite as many. It's really special that, you know, we've spoken to, well, as a podcast, um, <coughs> Anthony Stark, who plays Truman yeah. Lodge, yeah. Robert Darby, who plays Sanchez, and of course John Glenn, the director. So it, it's just amazing to see yeah. to see that. And, and at the Prince Charles Cinema, we're also really fortunate to um, to get the chance to speak to Paul Weston, 
yeah. the um, the stuntman for for a Q and A. So so that was really special, and it's just just amazing to see their work on screen on a big screen. Yeah, and it is a, it's a special film to us. Obviously, it's kind of become a thing that the majority of us on this podcast favour this as the highest ranked for us, and I and I think it is. I think it is for me, but it, it, it's. It's a special film to all of us, and we, we share so many good feelings about it. We share so many discussions about it, and then we meet people like Carrie as well, um, mm, yeah. who's you know done so, so much of a study on the, the Dalton bombs, and uh, I think there's just a real intrigue about the Dalton the Dalton duo, and um, it's going to be great to see Timothy Dalton, who's seen as this more uh, modest, understated. Uh, darker Bond but on the big screen I know you saw him in Living Daylights but to see him being a character as big as James Bond on the big screen I'm looking forward to seeing how he how he does that well it's uh, not long now before we'll uh, no. we'll get to do so so um, yeah can't wait yeah let's throw on the soundtrack and uh, get pumped alright I'll answer it Miss Kennedy I saw you at the casino with James we need to speak in private. It's all right. He's with me. James is in danger. Sanchez is no fool. He's checking up on him. You know, if they find anything suspicious... Listen, it's all right. He's safely out of the country by now. You don't understand. Last night, he stayed with me. But Sanchez, Harris? See, Francis, take him on a trip. They leave in an hour. You must help him. If anything happens to him, I don't know what I'll do. No, I love James so much. Look, you must go before you're missed. Now, don't worry. We'll think of something. I love James so much. I'll be damned if I'll help him. Look, don't judge him too harshly, my dear. Field operatives must often use every means at their disposal to achieve their objectives. Bullshit! Hello, this is Gary Kay at the Odeon Cinema in Bath. Just about to go in to watch Licence to Kill. Really just looking forward to being entertained for a couple of hours. It's been one of those weeks, so um, just looking forward to seeing another old James Bond film back on the big screen again. Anyway, hope everyone's having a good week and speak to you soon. Hi, this is Dom here. I'm going to watch Licence to Kill tonight at the Odeon in Milton Keynes. I've been looking forward to this film for a very long time. The only one I've managed to watch so far in this 60 year anniversary run is Diamonds Are Forever. But Licence to Kill speaks for itself really. Timothy Dalton as James Bond, excellent. I've always thought that he walked so that Daniel Craig could run. I feel that's the opinion of a lot of James Bond fans. But this is an unusual film in the way that he goes rogue basically to avenge his maiming of Felix Leiter and Sanchez is a good villain as well makes friends of Sanchez kind of halfway through but I haven't watched this film for quite a while I've actually got it on blu-ray I've got it on apple tv so I've watched it a few times in the past like it is a go-to for me obviously a lot of it is so memorable Sanchez is such a great villain lighter David Hedison probably the best Felix Leiter for me Pam great Bond girl and all the villains hitmen henchmen Dario, Killifer, who's in Twin Peaks, if anyone remembers Twin Peaks. Yeah, and just, I feel it's just a great Bond film. Maybe not necessarily actually a true Bond film, but just a good film in itself and very memorable. 
But I'm looking forward to the soundtrack because I actually own License to Kill soundtrack on vinyl. The title song is fantastic. Gladys Night is what a song. It's truly underrated for me. I don't think a lot of people enjoy that one as much. It doesn't get talked spoke about. Dirty Love as well in the bar. I think that's a good, a fantastic song. Yeah, I mean, Michael Kamen, I mean, I did watch Die Hard a few months ago and that was kind of the same thing. So maybe people won't associate the soundtrack so much with Bond, but more Die Hard. If you ever watch Die Hard, it's just, as soon as it gets going, it's pretty much the same. Yeah, I'm looking forward to all of that. I'm sure it will sound good in the cinema as well, not just coming from in front of you, but all around you. And it'll be interesting to see how it looks in high res on a massive screen, because it does do itself justice on Blu-ray. It would just be better to see it right in front of you. But yeah, that's all I'm gonna say for now. I'll give you a review once I've finished and enjoy the film. Cheers, bye. Hey, Sam, I'm gonna be heading to the cinema to watch License to Kill shortly. So just a few thoughts on the film. I mean, I actually watched this film pretty recently um, at the end of May uh, with the majority of the really 007 guys and a bunch of um, other fans as well, including, you know, many guests actually who've been on who've been on the pod as well so i mean that was a brilliant experience and we had a uh, uh there was a q a session with uh paul weston who's done many stunts for for the bond films including dalton's uh two films um and that happened after uh the showing so that was really brilliant too so so yeah license to kill is one of my well it's in my top 10 uh bond films and it wasn't always there uh, it definitely wasn't it was definitely probably in the bottom five at one point i think like many others that i've spoken with over the years especially over the past two years those who are around my age too have really kind of grown to enjoy the film i think it's difficult when you watch or maybe grow up with pierce brosnan and roger moore and sean connery in those films and that's kind of what you think about bond and suddenly you have these dalton films where you know, things just get a bit darker, and especially in License to Kill, more so than Living Daylights, it can be pretty jarring. So I think it's it's been a, it's been a slow grower, <laughs> but it has grown to the point where it is now in my top 10, and I think many other people's top 10s as well. I think, you know, visually this film um, can appear to look just slightly cheaper, and I don't know whether that's just to do because a lot of the filming was done not in the uk and that i think it was done in south america so i mean to have that i guess can be a little bit weird for people it can look just not not as perfected but i think it still gets the job done i think john glenn does a really good job in actually you know bringing everything together i'm not sure i feel like there was i heard something about you know uh could be broccoli had wasn't on set all the time because he was having some health issues at the time but you know it feels like they still got the product together and i think that's the main thing you know i think dalton does an amazing job in this film um maybe doesn't look as good as in living daylights where i feel like his his whole entire look his hair his clothing that just works to perfection in uh, living daylights but here i don't think it looks as great but it's easy to to see past it with the performance because he really just nails everything and i i think he you can just tell his you know stage you know acting background he's he's just such a great performer um in terms of you know other characters robert darvey really great villain very memorable villain much much better than than whitaker and koskov in in the last film 
very realistic, but not boring. Definitely not boring. He has a lot of banter, there's a lot of laughs. Um, he's funnier than Bond. He has a great kind of relationship with with his uh with his comrades, uh, especially with um, Dario. It's uh, which you know I've you know spoken. It's been talked about about what that potential friendship, work relationship, you know, personal relationship is. Um, but and and he you know Benicio, Benicio del Toro is just such an amazing actor. And I think even so early, you can really see what he's capable of. And if we're going to talk about just other characters, Pam Bouvier is, is a great character. I absolutely love her. Uh, Carrie Lowell, great performance. Just such a kind of striking look. Again, maybe not the best outfits. I think costuming in this film um, as a whole um, is, is good, but I think compared to some of the other films, I think it is lacking a little bit. But still, everyone is 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 dressed in a great way. Um, I know I, f- I focus on costumes a bit, just because I think I think it's just super important to kind of have everyone looking correctly. Um, and I think when they don't, it can really take you out a little bit. I think there's some misses in this film, but I think there's a lot of good stuff as well. And I think you know that one of the highlights is is Pam's dress in the casino that she you know can take the bottom of it off so that she can reveal her her gun. That straps to her thigh. I think it's just so so good. It's so camp, <laughs> but it's but you know it it works for what it is, and especially you know for someone who needs to kind of work undercover, it's good to have that. And then we have Sanchez's girlfriend uh, Lupe, which uh, she she has a. It's nice that she doesn't kind of end up being a complete victim or just being you know just shoved to the side. I mean she she kind of is in a way, but I mean she you know ends the film you know with a with a new sense of freedom power um she can do whatever she wants and i think that's really great q oh my goodness he has such a good good role in this doesn't he and he's just so funny i love that desmond llewellyn's given the chance i mean i don't love when the mi6 regulars are out in the field too much i think it's fine when it's like they're in their own base and whatnot but due to what's happening in this particular story it makes sense the story itself is is solid i love um I love that they got David Hudson back to play Felix. He's, he, I think he's my favourite Felix. And so it's great to have him. I always feel so, so bad for Della. I just think caught up in the wrong, wrong time. But I mean, at least she got a fabulous wedding before the awful things that happened and her death. But yeah, I think the, what was great about seeing this on the big screen in London was just, you know, having all these people around and, you know, just kind of enjoying it for what it is. But what I'm going to enjoy about it tonight is to actually just you know, focus purely on the film. It's just going to be me. Well, I mean, there's definitely other people going to be in the cinema, but it's just going to be me going without uh, people with me. So it'll be fun to actually kind of pay a bit more attention to it and to actually, you know, see if there's anything that I missed, any new things that are there. And yeah, I just think I'm really looking forward to it. It's, it's you know, it's like I said, it's in my top 10. Have a really good time with it. And yeah, I hope everyone enjoys it. So I will be back uh, once the film is finished. See you then. Hi, this is Anthony Stark. I played Truman Lodge in License to Kill, and you're listening to Really 007. Trevor Baxendale here. Well, I've just finished lighting up License to Kill and taking a long, thoughtful drag before letting the smoke out through my teeth in a quiet hiss. Okay, that's enough Fleming. Or is it? Timothy Dalton has just delivered his no-holds-barred version of Ian Fleming's 007. A gutsy, narrow-eyed, cruel-mouthed, hard-as-nails interpretation of the character. No, make that reinterpretation. Dalton discards 
any trace of Roger Moore, or even Sean Connery for that matter, and replaces them with a machine-tooled secret agent unceremoniously dumped out of the Secret Service, disavowed in modern parlance, and hell-bent for revenge. You get the impression that Dalton doesn't really care for anything after From Russia With Love, with the possible exception of Honor Majesty's Secret Service, and wants to return 007 to his factory settings. Gone are the twinkling one-liners and plush elegance of previous Bonds, Here we have a flinty-eyed, hard-smoking, cold-as-bullets action hero. In fact, all the one-liners and elegance go to Robert Darby's exquisitely presented villain. A man so dangerous he can comfortably wear a pink blouse and navy cardigan with his loafers and still exude a terrifying sense of menace. His burgeoning relationship, as he thinks it is, with his new problem and eliminator is one of Licence to Kill's most rewarding and subtle elements. And there are many enjoyable elements in this film. Bond insinuating himself into Sanchez's empire, chipping away at its supporting superstructure, the loyalty that Sanchez prizes even above money, until the whole thing collapses in multiple petrol tanker fireballs, and ultimately Sanchez's own screaming conflagration is one of the series' most unusual but satisfying stories. Dalton brought his A-game to the living daylights, but his A-plus game to the follow-up. What a damn shame he never got to do a third. I wouldn't swap Goldeneye for anything, but no third Dalton Bond must surely be one of life's biggest regrets. It's a good job Daniel Craig picked up the torch many years later. But for now, it's 1989, Timothy Dalton is James Bond, and Licence to Kill is his Moreland special with the three gold rings. Hello, this is Gary Kay again. Just been to see Licence to Kill on the big screen again. Uh, It's definitely the most violent, I would say, of the James Bond films, particularly when you see it on the big screen. The scenes that um, make you squirm a bit are definitely the scenes with Felix Leiter being fed to the shark and also the scene in which Dario Sanchez henchman is being ground up by the machine. It's um, really not very pleasant on the big screen when you're seeing it projected um, as such a large image. But um, have to say that nevertheless, there were laughs along the way in the film and um, Phil a lot better than I did going into the cinema after um, a challenging week. So yet again, James Bond movies showing their great escapist value. Particularly enjoyed Q, Desmond Llewellyn's Q scenes in the film. They got quite a few laughs throughout from the audience. Audience numbers this week were a little disappointing. Probably only about 14, 15 people compared to 25 to 30 people last week for The Living Daylights. The film, of course, is a 15 certificate, so that would, of course, kept away some younger families from going to see it. Although a smaller audience this week, there were quite a few audible chuckles throughout during the film, so clearly people were having a good time watching Licence to Kill. Sound quality was superb, as was the picture quality in the main. It's the stunt sequences, the action sequences during Licence to Kill, where John Glenn's direction really does excel and the K-9 
Kentworth truck sequence towards the climax of the film is a particularly memorable scene. And I remember that when the film originally came out, um, a lot was made of that particular stunt sequence and a lot of behind the scenes footage shown on television at the time. Another thing that got a lot of television coverage, I seem to remember on the original release of Licence to Kill, was the fact that the film had been granted a 15 certificate, which was unknown for a Bond film up to that point, where Bond films tended to get an A or a PG certificate as it became. And I remember seeing the filmmakers being interviewed on TV and um, it came across that they were despairing of the fact that the uh, British Board of Film Classification had insisted on a 15 certificate despite the fact that several cuts were made to the film. If those cuts um, hadn't been made, the film would have been an 18 certificate, was the um, message that had come across at that time. The version of Licence to Kill that UK cinema audiences got to see this week, however, was the version with the cuts that were made back in 1989 reinstated, um, but um, retaining a 15 certificate rather than the certificate being raised to 18. So um, one of the reasons why I think when you watch those sequences on the big screen that I mentioned earlier, they are that much more graphic than we recall those of us that saw it on its original release. Must mention Robert Davies Sanchez, certainly one of the most memorable of Bond villains, a particularly nasty character and um, possibly the, um, the most vilest villain in the entire Bond series, um, it could be argued. Very well played by Robert Davies, but very well written as well as a character and um, get the impression that the actor really relished the role. Also need to mention Benicio Del Toro's Dario, he really does relish that particular role of course the actor is very very well known now um, but at the time when this James Bond film was released he wasn't a known actor little did we know as an audience member back at the time that um, he would go on to such great things one of the things I remember really looking forward to when License to Kill was announced on its original release was the fact that David Hedison would be returning as Felix Leiter in the film. Uh, I was a big fan of Live and Let Die and always enjoyed David Hedison's interpretation of the Felix Leiter character until very, very recently he was my absolute favourite of the actors to play Felix Leiter. So it was great to see him return to the um, the film series and also to have Felix Leiter's um, character play such a pivotal role in Licence to Kill. Talisa Soto's Loopy is a little bit of an uneven performance in the film, albeit a very likeable character. By contrast, Kerry Lowell is excellent throughout Licence to Kill as Pam Bouvier. Very, very strong female character, great uh, leading uh, actress in the film. Really can hold her own in a fight. In fact, she actually um, helps Bond act significantly in the barrel head bar sequence in the film. If she wasn't around you do actually wonder whether he would have got out in one piece 
Timothy Dalton looks much more at ease as Bond um, throughout Licence to Kill. The script is tailored much more appropriately to his Bond and um, any of the comic moments that he's involved with seem to work significantly better than they did in, light, in the living daylights. Given, of course, some superb action sequences to take part in in the film and... I remember that at the time there was a great deal of attention in the press to the fact that Bond really does get hurt in this particular film. And my goodness, the way that um, his appearance towards the end of the film in the final confrontation with Sanchez, when he's covered in blood and dust and cut with gashes, it was something we've never really seen before in a James Bond film at that particular point. And it wouldn't be really until the Daniel Craig era where we would really be seeing that level of gritty realism in a James Bond film again. Even the sequence at the, end, at the beginning of Die Another Day in which Pierce Brosnan's character is tortured and interrogated, you never really see him look as battered up as um, Timothy Dalton's Bond at the client towards the climax of Licence to Kill. Another character that I do need to mention in Licence to Kill is Frank McRae's Sharky. Character helps Bond out when everybody else seems to turn their back on him and um, the interaction between the um, Frank McRae and Timothy Dalton on screen just works so beautifully and it just makes the moment in which Bond discovers that Sharky's been murdered in such a terrible manner. Dalton's reaction to the murder and the moments in which he takes revenge against the killer, so well played by Timothy Dalton, and just gets a sense, the anger behind his eyes. Also need to mention Michael Kamen's score. Uh, does an, an admirable job of scoring Licence to Kill the Music, sounds um, very appropriate for the film there's some lovely uses of the James Bond theme throughout the one thing I will say that for me doesn't put it up there as one of the best Bond scores is the fact that there isn't a theme throughout such as snow job and variations of it in a view to a kill or where is everybody gone that was played throughout in different variations in the living daylights there's nothing like that to anchor and to give the film its own musical identity. John Barry, of course, was an absolute master of that particular approach to film scoring. And um, to, for me, he's been sorely missed ever since. Overall, I had a great evening's entertainment, thoroughly enjoyed the film. As I said earlier on, I went into the cinema feeling fairly low, came out feeling a lot better than I did going in, which is one of the great things about these Bond films. It's also um, great as well that we've got this variety of approaches to um, Bond scripts, something to suit um, whatever mood we happen to be in. We can just go into the back catalogue and choose whatever film suits that particular mood. Anyway, great to see these films back on the big screen again. Looking forward to seeing Goldeneye next week, which is my absolute favourite of Piers Brosnan's films. Not sure at the moment how many more of the films afterwards I should be going to see on the big screen again. I have now seen all of the James Bond films 
on the big screen with the exception of From Russia With Love. So it's just something nice to be able to go and see some of my favourites again on the big screen. Certainly hoping to get to see Casino Royale and Skyfall again, which I rate very highly. Hope that you're all enjoying these films too. And thanks again to the Really 007 podcast crew. Have a great weekend all and speak to you soon. Hello again, this is Dom. I've just come back from Licence to Kill this evening. It was brilliant. What a film. Tim for Dalton as James Bond. Excellent. The hair in this film, not so much. Don't know why they decided to do that. That swept back in the casino. No idea what's going on there. Sanchez is the villain. Excellent villain. Plays it cool. Has a lot of henchmen. Really enjoyed his performance. Just such a good villain. So memorable. And Robert Davi has discovered in your podcast. Fantastic soundtrack absolutely amazing michael kamen once again really like that i've just got a lot of time for it i know it's not john barry but you've just got to move on so i like that pambuvier she held herself up well she's not like stacy sutton and she's just such a good bond girl if bond had to leave after license to kill i feel like pam would be the one he would choose lots of respect for her milton crest an interesting character his eye movement in this no idea what's going on there, but it works. Very creepy. For me, in this viewing, I felt he was more more in it than Dario, because a lot of people remember Dario. I thought he did well for the first sort of two-thirds of it before he gets blown up in the cabin or depressurized, whatever you call it. And I thought lots of explosions, lots of bang, boom, and it shook up the whole room and it was excellent. I thought the lorry chase right at the end, that was a good lorry chase. James Bond going after destroying all the coke and petrol, getting in the act of trying to do that. I thought that was good. Making sure Sanchez has absolutely nothing to go with after maiming his friend. So once Sanchez is dead, I thought, you know, it's a good ending in the party. Much better than what we've just witnessed in the last year or so, Mr. Daniel Craig. So basically, I'll sum up the rest of this by speaking about the film. So Act 1, James Bond starts off with Felix's wedding, everything's happy, he goes, and then all of a sudden he's maimed and he has to do a bit of digging and he's not going to get any help because nobody wants to help him. Followed by meeting with M, who's very upfront and says, you need to do your job. But instead, he says, I'm not going to carry on with what I've been told to do i'm gonna avenge what's happened to my friend fuck you em goodbye act two going to christmas doing all this digging there he's very good at that is uh james bond and then the final act joining forces with sanchez to get in behind all of his men because once he tries to shoot him and that doesn't go down well he realizes he needs to take another approach to it so you know he gets I assume he gets rescued. I'm not quite sure what happens in all of that with the Chinese guy. And I know the British guy is trying to take him back to London, but I'm not sure what the Chinese guys are doing. Maybe somebody can explain. But once he gets in there and works with Sanchez, gets Crest blowing up and Sanchez pays him, then it's all down to the end where he gets in and spots Dario, who notices that, hang on a second, why is he back? Don't know what he's doing here. And Sanchez realises when petrol's going into the cocaine, or coming out of the cocaine either way, something's wrong. So I don't know how long, I don't know how it takes that for them to discover who he is. But once that's done, 
then he can set out to go and destroy him, which he does successfully with the lighter. So yeah, License to Kill for me, great bomb film. I really enjoyed it. Though I am not sure what happened to the picture quality. It seemed a bit low res for some reason. Maybe they didn't use a Blu-ray, but maybe I was just having my expectations too high. But never mind. But also, how does he only get to the airport after the wedding to fly out to discover that Sanchez has gone missing? I'm sure he would have found out something was up before getting there. But I guess that's for the writing of the film. So I can't really knock it there. But also, how on earth does Q get to Isthmus City? Because James Bond needs false flight plans and whatnot. And Q just gets him. Unless he just goes as a tourist. Nobody recognises his line of work like they would with Bond. No idea. But shout out to Q actually. He played a good part in this film. Not usually, whereas at Q Brant, it's nice to see Q not in his usual area of expertise. And he played a good part, calming down Pam. I thought if Bond was going to go off with Lupe, then maybe he could kind of go off with Pam. But maybe it's more like a father-daughter relationship. And also, I don't know about any of you, but I still don't understand the Professor Joe evangelist system. I know it's for the prices of the drugs, but I just I, I every time I've watched this film, I don't understand what that's all about. Even though he's a creepy character, as we discovered towards the end, it just it never works in my head. But for the point of a good evening's entertainment, License to Kill is up there for me. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I hope you've enjoyed watching it in the cinema as much as I have, and I'll be watching Goldeneye next week as well. So thank you for letting me record my thoughts on this Radio 007. I will listen more for your podcast. Best of luck, everybody. Goodbye. Action. This is John Glenn. You're listening to... Really, <laughs> 007 podcast. That's not my money. I swear. That's right, amigo. It's mine. You think I'm stupid? Huh? You ripped me off, then use my own money to pay someone to kill me? You want it so bad. And take it! Wait, that's me.
Hey, it's Sam again. Um, I just got back from the cinema watching License to Kill. Um, and, you know, it was just brilliant. It was, you know, so good. Um, it was one of the most busiest screenings um, of this run so far. Um, Living Daylights last week was quite busy, but this was probably about the same amount. Um, which was great to see. A lot of younger people as well, actually. A lot of people, you know, who are around my age, um, which is surprising, but good to see. And, of course, uh, so some of the old people, I'm guessing, who would have seen it the first time round um, in 89. Yeah, I mean, one thing that I just had to say right off the bat is that, you know, there were not too many funny moments, like laugh-out-loud moments, but when they when they happened, they re they re they really um, happened. Um, the two main laughs were the bank manager in Isthmus, who you know after he says to Bond that the people downstairs can take care of him, and then of of course the money comes in. And he's just like, oh right this way or whatever he says, and everyone laughed at that. So that was quite loud. And then also most of Q uh, Q's lines, just anything. Everything up until you know the throwing the broom into the bushes. Just he got such massive laughs, so that was great as well. I know I talked about the characters and stuff, um, and some of the costuming uh, before, and most of most of what I said, you know, I think remain, remains the same. I'd have to say, you know, so, you know, especially I, I, I was paying attention to some, and you know, things like Sanchez's pink uh, shirts, uh, some of Lu Lupe's costumes, and Pam's actually work really well. I actually have a shirt, a red shirt, that's similar, it looks like it's a similar fabric material to um, Lupe's red dress, uh, so I feel like I may have to wear that for a Bond event in the future. So yeah, that was quite funny to just actually notice that for the first time, even though I've seen this film several times whilst I've had that shirt, so it's, you know, weird that I didn't notice before. A couple of things that were new, just some background noises, you know, here... <laughs> Just you know, a tannoy in the hospital when Felix um, is first there about a doctor. I could hear that. I don't think I've heard that before. I'm trying to think what else, actually. Yeah, there's probably not much else that's new, but, you know, the score really works for this. I mean, I know I've always said that, you know, John Barry is kind of like top tier. He, you know, can't really be matched, um, even though other composers, you know, have done a really good job. Michael Kamen does a really good job. He... There's nothing that feels wrong with this, and his Bond theme really hits his use of it, which is great. You like having something that you know feels feels different but the same, and I think he manages to blend it quite well. So that's great. Some of the some of the actual you know motifs and pieces that are in there that you know recur, they're really nice. You know, kind of the love stuff. There's a section in it. I think most. I think it's when they're at Hemingway House. 
and it does like this dong sound and it really reminds me of Goldeneye of some of Sarah's sounds that he uses in that so I feel like that's a nice you know bit of you know connection between the two films locations and set and set pieces I think I've done well I kind of wish that we got more of a scope of what Isthmus is I feel like all we do is just see a couple of buildings and you know we just see kind of like the coastline from when uh sanchez's uh mansion with a very useful lift uh <laughs> talk about first world issues but yeah it's uh, i just kind of wish we got to see a little bit more of it I, I think we see a lot of you know i think it's key west that we're at i think we see a lot of that which is good but i can kind of understand why people don't like the locations just because you know it's it's not a it's not an istanbul or you know a tokyo or anything like that um, i guess it's more grounded but that's you know what the film is really and it's, it's it's meant to just feel a bit more realistic like you go from cold war in the last in the last film in living daylights to to just a, a really a drug operation really but there's a lot of spying going on and there's a lot of uh, double crossing which i think is great um it does keep you on on your toes and the majority of it makes sense and yeah i just think i love i love the title song and the end credits song uh, license to kill is one of if not my it could actually be my favorite i think i've actually no i think diamonds are forever is my is my favorite title tr song but i think license kills maybe in my top five i absolutely love the song and it's just it's it's just great to hear it again and especially you know in a cinema and um, if you ask me to patty labelle that's one of my absolute favorites and i think she does such an amazing job on it and it's it's one that you you have to sit through you have to listen to it all i think she just does such a fantastic performance have to note you know i think we're getting to that point in the series now where there's going to be more change this feels like the last one i think because goldeneye is such a visual shift everything about it is a shift actually it feels you can't it feels like this is like the last cubby broccoli i know i mentioned him before but this feels like the last one that has his true stamp on it and you know the the man you know steered the ship for you know, the best part of three decades and, and going into the 90s as well so i mean you can't deny the work that he did and although for the majority of that he's shared it with saltzman and with wilson you know he's been he's been the constant thread through that so i think just so commendable he's he he had a fantastic run with this and he really the one who helped push this forward and, and make this a reality so really big props to cubby broccoli and also this is maurice spinder's a final uh, title sequence so it's kind of a shame to to kind of know that but at the same time i think it was it was time for a change even though i like the title sequence you can definitely tell it's just it's a bit stale especially for this for this point in time you know 1989 things are about to change so much and i think we really see that with uh, daniel Kleiman's title sequences in the 90s but yeah overall just a real fantastic time loved it cannot wait for goldeneye though performances in this film have been great but I, I, i'm ready for i'm ready for 90s bond had a great time john glenn as well had to give big props to him um he he had a great run too you know none of his films i would say would uh, were bad at all and i think he only got better and better so who knows what what he what else he could have done with the with the series but you know to say he did five films consecutively I think, you know, good for him. Great job. But yeah, Goldeneye, Martin Campbell, Pierce Brosnan, a bunch of new cast members. Um, it's one that I've seen at the cinema before, but I'm looking forward to seeing it again for the first time at the cinema in about seven years, I think. So yeah, it's been a fun night and I look forward to seeing Goldeneye. Hi, Bob Foster here. Just come out from the Odeon Derby after watching Licence to Kill and absolutely thoroughly enjoyed it. It's 
an absolute joy from beginning to end. As we've all said before, I just wish that Dalton had done a third. It could have been the absolute making of him. <laughs> Fantastic pre-titles, great cast. Uh, I think uh, Robert Darvey is the absolute best Bond Bond villain in the entire series. I think him and Bond are uh, e equal on opposite ends of the spectrum. Uh, they really, really play off each other very well. Um, Carrie Lowell is a very good Bond girl. Talisa Soto is a tiny bit wooden, but she's very good on the eye. Great stunt work all the way through, especially the, 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 the tanker chase at the end. It always makes me think, though, what this film would have been like with John Barry's music. Michael Kamen's music, to me, it, it purely just sounds like die-hard music. And if Barry had been around well enough to have done it, it would have been really good to have heard what he could have done. But apart from that, an absolute, thoroughly enjoyable experience. And I'm now really looking forward to next week's Pierce Brosnan's first one, GoldenEye. Just uh, another additional comment to my review that I sent uh, about Licence to Kill. While I was watching it on the big screen, I took special notice of all the, uh, the points that made it the 15. Sanchez whipping Lupe, the, the scream, dropping Felix into the sharp pool, the Milton Crest's head blowing up and the, uh, the final fight between Dalton and Sanchez, especially Sanchez catching on fire. Now, when I saw it on the big screen, I thought you could see extra bits, extra, extra seconds in each one. And getting home, I double-checked on my, uh, the Blu-ray player, and every single scene was exactly... On the big screen but because you're watching it on the big screen it looked like there was more there it just amazed me because when i saw it on the blu-ray and it was the same it, it quite uh, quite shocked me just an additional point there okay hello my name is mike and i wanted to share my thoughts on license to kill i did not get to see it in the theaters as i am here in the united states but the guys invited me to share my thoughts so here i am I've always loved this movie from the time I first saw it, even though it scared the crap out of me as a kid, but I've always, always, always loved Timothy Dalton, always loved License to Kill, Living Daylights, both of them, just, they're out of the park. And this movie, right off the bat, that gun barrel sequence, it's so urgent. The music and the pre-title sequence sets the tone from, from the get-go. I mean, it's darker and Franz has that iguana tail whip. I mean, it's not funny the way he uses it, but it's just ridiculous to say it. It's just an intense, violent, and uh, personal opening sequence. you got David Hennison returning as Felix Leiter, which is, I think, the stroke of genius here. You've had so many different Felixes. At this point, the audience is spending their time wondering if they like this new, this new Felix or not, but with this, with David coming back, you skip that. You know you like him. At least I like him. I think he's the best Felix of the uh, 
the original run. I love the new Felix, though. But yeah, that it sets it up. It sets it up and it works. I, I believe the relationship between Felix and Della and Bond, that they've spent time, obviously, Bond and Felix, but Della as well. And it just, it all sets it up to this really dark, heavy, vicious scene of Felix getting fed to the shark, which I don't think there is any more vicious scene in any Bond movie that I've been able to come up with. The closest I've come up with is the torture scene between the Sheaf and Bond in Casino Royale, but I don't think that quite has the same weight here, the same consequence at all. Uh, so, you know, this whole movie goes to hell pretty quick right after they mentioned that Bond was married before, which I love that scene. It's such a small moment, but it's so packed. And it just shows you how much you can do with so little. And just remind the audience of these certain things in Bond's life. And from there, Felix gets, you know, massacred. I don't even know what to say about what happens to him. And Della clearly, clearly does not have a good end. So from here, Bond goes off the, off the reservation, you know? I mean, it's, we've never seen this before. And he has that another packed scene with M. Calls back to the tension of Honor Majesties. M telling him, as always, you can't be going off a vendetta, on a vendetta. But this time he does. And he still has that respect, that God help you, Commander. And, you know, this movie, I think it really played into Dalton's strengths. I mean, he is ice cold when he needs to be. When he pushes Killifer into the shark pit, that he doesn't look away. It's ice cold. One of my favorite moments, too, is the, is the Manta disguise. It's just this long tradition of Bond-wearing fake suits of aquatic treading or dwelling creatures but this is the one time i think he doesn't have a tux underneath so that's the difference here close on the heels of this you've got the barrel head bar the most 80s thing i think i've ever seen it's just it's 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 wild it's wild uh but you get dario you get pam's real introduction who i love pam i think that she's on the level with bond i don't think that the script fully allows her to be just given the timing of when they made the movie but i think that were she a real person she would really be on the level of bond sort of in, on the line of uh, dr goodhead and anya you know intelligent very very intelligent and uh able to take care of themselves without without bond they don't take any guff the scenes with q are also some of my all-time favorite of any movie this is like where we really see an affection and an understanding between the two. Q signs himself into the hotel as uncle, and I think that tells a lot. He really, he knows Bond, even despite what Bond may say or push back. He tells him straight to his face, you'd have been dead years ago, and it's true. Plus, this scene is just definition Q. It's perfect. Every gadget is <laughs> what you want to see. It's a, They're amazing. And he's got that little smile when he's got something he's particularly proud of. But I also feel so badly for him. Bond pushes him away twice in a row, and he looks so sad about it. But he's got a great mustache the last time we see him, that fake mustache. Another part of this film that really, really always leaves me thinking about it after is those scenes between Dalton, Bond, and Fran Sanchez, where he's still... he doesn't Sanchez doesn't know what Bond is doing, and Bond is trying to get in 
uh, into the organization, and he, he just Bond looks like this ice cold killer who's suave as can be, and only Dalton could do that scene. Of all the play people that have played Bond, I think only Dalton could have played that as well as it's played. Uh, I don't think Daniel Craig has the charm to shine through the buff gruffness. Uh, whereas Timothy Dalton could, you know, murder you or seduce you with his eyebrows alone. We've also got, I think, two of the most brutal deaths we've ever seen. One being Milton Crest. I'd like to know if that really happens. I don't know how you test that, if your head would really inflate and explode in that they put him in. I don't want to be tested on it. Uh, we've also got later on with that grinder. That grinder scared the living hell out of me as a kid. Still does. Still does, honestly. And this is in what I think is one of the most underrated layers ever. I maybe, I guess they're all getting more uh, acclaim now, but I think License to Kill has long been one of the most underrated entries with one of the most underrated villains. You never hear anyone say Fran Sanchez is their favorite villain. And this layer is great. It's like a religious cult place with people donating through telethons, but they're really drug <laughs> heads of drug organizations and Wayne Newton is absolutely perfect as Joe Butcher bless your heart and you know this phony veil of piety and wisdom before bringing Pam to his shag chamber bringing us to the the tanker chase later that's one of the best chases ever I think I love the tanker chase and you know there's going to be a chase because you see one tanker one tanker is scenery two tankers has happenstance three or more is a major chase waiting to happen. There's no two ways about it. It's a Bond movie. But uh, it's, the, the finale is, is everything I love in a Bond movie. They've got a, a vaguely scientific process of turning cocaine into gasoline. I would love to know if that's a thing you can do. So, like, someone feel free to find me and DM me and tell me how, yes, you can turn cocaine into gasoline. I'm fascinated. But also, what I think isn't talked about enough is how this is one of the most competent attempts to kill Bond. They put him on his conveyor. They don't stop to let him talk. Franz, frankly, doesn't seem to be very uh, concerned. He's, maybe he has other problems, but Bond is definitely a problem, and he's got to go. Dario stays there to make sure he goes down. He does not take his time cutting those ropes. But Pam shoots him and uh, saves Bond's life. And she turns the bloody machine off. Couple of things I also wanted to note that I'd never noticed before is the guy who plays Truman Lodge is the guy who plays Ginny in Seinfeld. The guy who talks about himself in the third person. And he's got the weird basketball shoes. Never noticed that. Huge fan of both. I love it. And then he gets gunned down because Franz needs to start cutting overhead. This tanker chase, though, has two amazing stunts. The one where the tanker goes on its side wheels, I, they, it looks like they really did that. That seems like something you could do. The wheelie, though, I don't know. <laughs> I might sound really dumb. Like, oh, do they really do that? But I don't know. Did they really do that? It's the late 80s. They were doing real stunts. I want to know how they did that. I want to know how they pulled that off. But it's a, it's a great movie. Bond, I think he escapes by the skin of his teeth in this one, more than most. He very nearly gets it in this one. And then he gets that lighter out. Don't you want to know why? 
Oh, it's oh, it's just amazing. It's just it brings the whole movie from the beginning into this moment, and then he lights it that big flame that they showed you that surprised him all in the wedding, and then Franz it erupts in flame, and there's that amazing stunt they pull off with the guy on fire. Unreal, just so much of it. So it's just can't mm, can't get enough. But then it all wraps up perfectly. You know, Felix is alive. M's got a job for you, and Lupe. This one, this kind of always confused me. She just kind of seems to go where the wind blows. She's totally nonplussed to just go with Bond or with a much older Presidente, whatever. And then Bond jumps in the pool and he pulls Pam in. And you couldn't do that today because everyone has their phone. And everyone would be pissed if you pulled them into the pool with their phone. So all in all, Timothy Dalton is a stud. I think uh, it's a shame, as everyone has been saying lately. It's a shame he never did a third movie. Typically, that's really all of the Bond actors' best film, performance-wise, is their third film. But I also think this one hits a lot of marks. And I, I think without a third one, it's still a satisfying uh, conclusion to Timothy's short but very sweet era. And those are my thoughts. Ugh. Could have had everything. Don't you want to know why? Right, Harry, goodness me. What have we just witnessed? Well, I mean, a film that we've seen several times, but um, one which you've never seen at the cinema before, one which I watched a few weeks ago at the cinema, um, but what a flipping experience. Yeah, I have um, I have absolutely no idea where to start, what to say. I attempted it with Few Eyes Only and went on for 20 minutes trying to get to the bottom of why I was so happy. <laughs> And uh, probably a lot of listeners switched off at that point. So I'll, I'll, I'm going to somehow try and talk to you, talk together about just how unbelievable that was. Uh, please, you go first. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's very hard to... Obviously, it really is a film almost, you know, out on its own. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's very different in tone in scale to, to most of the other films if not all the other films however I do still think it feels like a Bond film yeah I'm, I'm not that, that's one thing I noticed um, it is a revenge one off mission and yeah you know that's not typical of Bond but it was in the cinema I noticed that's how important things like the Bond music are using the music at the right time like the end I mean, we'll talk about the whole tango sequence, but the music and the use of the theme yeah. is a constant reminder that this is James Bond on a mission, whether it's revenge or not, is doing it the James Bond way, and uh, it's just incredible. So, you know, and I think, I, I, you know, I probably bark on about it all the time, how they seem to disregard the importance of music in, in the recent films, but in this 
mission that feels different, personal, maybe smaller scale, he's doing it the James Bond way, and the, and the music is just one of the ways that indicates this is a James Bond adventure, and it, I, you could really hear it tonight uh, in that cinema. Um, yeah, on those tankers. Go on. Good. Yeah, um, so, I mean, there are other, you know, very Bond elements, like the casino. Um, yeah. yeah. Some, you know, and... Uh, action set pieces which are yeah. just absolutely phenomenal again we'll come to those later um but yeah i, I um i'm trying to think what i uh sorry no it's it's it's, <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's just so tricky i don't know where to start but speaking of action set pieces um obviously there's the tanks which we keep saying we'll come to but i i obviously we all love the the fight in the barrel head and you've got your barrel head t-shirt on yep. tonight but As tonight I, I um just really felt the value of that fight uh, what Bond does well mostly and that's, so it, it's a little bit I suppose like what people liked about the Cuba sequence in No Time to Die is fun action not not every fight is serious not every fight is yeah. um, you know to, to the death kind of but the way the, the barrel head action set uh, like includes the everyone in there and the props the use of the swordfish it's a real fight with real fists and real danger yeah. but it's fun it's a fun fight in a fun situation and I think that's so important in a Bond uh, in a Bond film to have some sequences that are a bit like the car chasing for eyes only that ends with apple picking just there's, there's fun around the fight and, I, I, and you know License to Kill is seen as a serious film which it is yeah but there are so many clever ways that, that they know how to make it a Bond film and to make it still fun and not too heavy. Well, it's something that John has mentioned, that a lot of the, the quips, the good lines, are given actually to Sanchez and, yeah. and other people in the film. When we watched it at the Prince Charles Cinema, more than tonight, although there were some laughs tonight, yeah. people really picked up on the humour of the film. Some of it's, you know, it's in a different way to a lot of the other... Yeah. A lot of the other films so it isn't just all serious and nitty gritty there are some fun and funny humorous clever cleverly yeah. funny elements to it and you know someone who who gets quite a few of those good lines and is a cracking performance is Kerry Lowell as Pam Bouvier yes I, 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 she yeah. really is yeah. possibly my favorite Bond girl yeah she's she's fun you know that she's quite brash she's quite rash yeah. but she she really gets stuck in and helps Bond so much in this yeah. mission, yeah. and she's involved, you know, beyond, you know, that it's an it's an important and interesting scene that where he confronts her about why he's seen her with Hella, mm. and she points out that there's more than more yeah, to more it. to the whole thing than yeah. Um, yeah. than just his personal vendetta, and <clears throat> that's why it's brilliant because this feels like a world that Bond is entering. It's not. It's not yes. a Bond-centred world. This world would be happening without Bond. Yeah. Um, He's and getting involved in it. He is, and it's a very dangerous place and a dangerous, you know, environment Super, for him to yeah. be to be involved with. Um, and yeah, I think she just she does so well. Yeah. Um, I I I was going to say. I mean, there are so many characters and so many actors who do incredibly well. But I did want to mention her. I think oh, firstly, I fancy the pants off her. Always yeah, have oh. done. She's absolutely beautiful. Um, and not in a Lupe kind of way that's glamorous and stiff, if you know what I mean. She's <laughs> so lovable and um, innocent, if you know what I mean. Um, and she's I think she's crucial for the tone of the film as well. Up, yeah. I know he's, he sees her in Felix's office, yeah. um, but when they have the first exchange, the barrelhead, that yeah. fun fight yeah. scene, then the boat scene after it, it's the first time, because it's such a fast-paced film, 
and Bond is really on a mission, but that barrel head fight and the, the scene in the boat when it breaks down is the first time that she, she slows Bond down. She's, it's the first time he smiles, laughs and relaxes and she has that effect on the film and on Bond to just stop him in his tracks and yeah. he he love he I know he tries to get rid of her so many times in the film but obviously for her own, own protection but I think she's the one that tempers him in the film she's the one that um, keeps him a little bit warmer because he, he is before that he's going from one uh, scene to the next on an absolute mission on the warpath but she what she does Pam to Bond is really, really uh, important for their relationship and the film, I think. She she adds so much. And I love the duo that she forms with Q. I think that's yeah. such oh, a yeah. good it um, bond yeah, yeah. that they have. They get on with things... You know, Bond keeps trying to dismiss both of them and make sure they get to safety, but, you know, they, they stick together and they, they kind of... Whilst Bond's, you know, the end, the end battle, so to speak, Bond goes directly. They come around the outside, kind of putting it in general terms. They sort of go their own way around. They work together, um, which is a lovely dynamic that no Bond film has shown before. And, and obviously, that comes from having Q on the scene, um, which is a great, great, great idea. It is. It is really good. And Desmond Llewellyn puts in a terrific performance. And, yeah. You know, he's given far more than probably he's had before. Yeah. Um, also, I mean, let's talk about the, the villains and the performances of the villains, please. You know, um, the thingy, uh, Anthony Zerber as, uh, oh, as, as Milton Crest. Oh, um, oh. You, you said you felt quite sorry for it. You felt more sorry for than ever, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, it's, it's just because you see it all. It's But it's such tight writing and the plot is so well done. And the way Bond is evading them is cleverly turning them against each other in such a brilliant way yeah um, but just the way you see it unravelling and you know that it's leading to, to Crest being um, um, you know um, not set up being set up by Bond um, and yeah I just feel sorry because we can see it unravelling and and, yeah. and although you've seen Sanchez tear out that guy's heart well you know command the, the heart uh, taken out when this the, that's the first time you see Sanchez absolutely furious um, he's been such a cool character who possesses a lot of threat but with Milton Crest what an unbelievable execution it is of, of him um, I mean that scene the dialogue is great about you know that's yeah. not my money and all that um, yeah. but the death of him I know it's got it's the slight humorous quality to the head inflating but <laughs> even just the sound of it the pressure building up and then the um, the chopping of the vents so that um, well, I don't even understand how it works but the crescendo of it and the anger in Sanchez's uh, yeah. eyes as he do, does it it's such a huge moment absolutely and that's like villains the way Bond so you're talking about villains the way Bond plays these villains off against each other is just incredible and it it gets to the point where you've got all these villains kind of acting off against each other as well yeah and with their different characters and their different shticks kind of. now when um when um, Dario returned, Benicio del Toro, you know, when he returns at the end, Ooh. you, you, I think you turned to me again and was like, "Well, we're, you know, we're here again." And, and yeah. I mean, what a performance! What a what an interesting character. You know, he is a sort of henchman, but he's not. He's not like Gabinda or no, I don't know no. Mayday or Oddjob or Jaws. He's not like that sort of henchman. No. He's like his sort of right hand man, most trusted confidant and yeah. uh, most trusted assassin. 
and when it when he comes back into it, and you know, we've talked about Milton Crest being a horrific death. I mean, Dario's, oof, yeah, it's got to be one of the most horrific deaths in the series, mind you. There's a few contenders in this yeah. film alone. Yeah, and again, this is like a bit like Locke in Fries Only. Even though Dario doesn't have that many scenes, and he's not, he doesn't like you say like the henchman. He doesn't kill lots of people in evil ways, but that he earns that amazing death. Um, the, the character is so twisted and sort of yeah evil, and and what he has yeah you know done to Della. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You're right. Um, it's 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 an amazing death, and you know we talked about with Robert Darby on our interview about him crying for Sanchez as he yeah. goes down such an interesting dynamic between all the villains and the loyalty and you know there's you know suggestions of sort of romance between them perhaps and all, all that it's, it's, a, it's a dynamic of villains that's not really been explored that much before or portrayed like no. that it's, it's brilliant um, and then the main man obviously Fran Sanchez what, what a brilliant villain different to other villains not you know not your typical sort of psychopath just wanting anarchy not wanting world domination certainly not on you know some sort of um, you know invading other countries or or anything but as a you know a drug dealer he is trying to expand and 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 obviously um, his deal with the orientals as they know but it's just it's a really interesting different different villain and he plays it so well I mean we've had the pleasure to speak Speaking to him, but yeah, what a what a terrific performance! What a scary villain yeah. who has his own rules and uh, yeah. code, yeah. Um, but someone who, if you cross him, then it's just exactly. terrifying. It's so he, you know he is more ordinary, um, a more ordinary villain. Like you said, he's not larger than life. He's not. It's not world domination. It's it is. You know, you might reduce it just saying he's a drug dealer. But what Robert Darby and the character add to that is so good. Even just how how he. Um, He's uh, places much more value on loyalty than money. You know, he's, he's made. A, mm. He makes a few comments about how it's only money and things like that. Yeah, it, it elevates him. It it it, ma- it makes like this. Like I said, this whole dynamic of the villains um, so much more interesting. They're not. He's not just doing it for money. It's, he's so charming. There's so much character in there um, that he's he's far more interesting and more complicated yeah. than that. And and obviously the fact that he's you know perhaps. In terms of money not being quite as important to him, is he the first villain or only villain? I'm sure people will correct me um, to have his own like accountant who right, has to yeah, look after yeah. things for him because yeah. that isn't his, you know, the yeah, area that, that he's most passionate. Yeah, about. he's having to be. T- that's someone else's job. Yeah, that's not his interest, really, is it? Yeah, yes. Yeah. But it's, and that brings us on to Drew Lodge. <laughs> he was yeah, just oh yeah. Class. Well, what a guy! Well, Anthony Stark, Anthony yeah, our first ever guest, and, and what, what a terrific guest he was. Yeah. Brilliant performance. Great to see him again. He's got that part nailed, you know, absolutely nailed down. Um, it, it's just a perfect portrayal. Yeah, um, and to, I suppose we should. We, we've been promising all the, the end scene, the end sequence. Well, it, are, it, are we there? It, Do you want to talk before, about? Anything? I just wanted to oh, say good, about good. Timoth- no, no, let's keep talking. Timothy brilliant. Dalton. Before we come on to John Glenn and action. Oh, brilliant, so. brilliant, Timothy. Yeah, I mean that. Like, like I said in my pre-ramble, um, I hadn't seen Living Daylights. This is my first sh- first sight of uh, Dalton as James Bond on the big screen, and he's he's so good. He's just, I mean, he looked. There were certain 
times when he, when most of his face took up the screen, and he has an incredible face, um, yeah. an incredible look of intensity, but that's also good-looking man on a mission, um, and you know his physique is explored. Um, you know, there's, there's he does have a topless scene or two where yeah. he um, he shows that he's not. He, you know, he does blend in, and it fits with him saying that he's you know he's like a an assassin or you know whatever he like claims to be. A, um, but he, he he is brilliant. The way he takes this mission on, he there. Are, we've talked about it many times. Obviously, there's the well, the whole the whole plot how it affects him uh, with Felix and Della. And tonight, I think it might. I think it's only recently I've um, understood that parallel between you know the bride dying and Tracy dying and. The way he carries that throughout the film, there's the the reference mm. to him being married that's planted there, and, he, and Dalton just portrays that so incredibly well, um, and a lovely reminder that harks back to so many films earlier. Um, but then, you know, there's, there's her death. He's tearful when he finds Felix. He's tearful. Um, he's furious when Sharky. Um, he pulls up on the boat, you know, they've got yep. him. And even when he finally kills Sanchez, there's this sort of sense of ab- being absolutely worn out. Drained. Yeah, yeah, drained. He's gone to the, you know, sort of the ends of the earth to to get revenge um, for, for what was done to Felix. And he doesn't... This might be, you know, the difference between him and Roger Moore going for... You know, it, it doesn't end with a, a smile and a quip. It ends with him... Sitting against a rock and resting, and yeah, looking tearful before Pam arrives in the truck, and it's just—I think you know—that's right up Tim's street. He's yeah. so good at that. He's brilliant, you know, and he's a really good leading man. He's yeah. ha- uh, he's handsome, but he's hard. Yeah, and he's a really good actor, and you know, he's got the charisma and presence. I yeah. think, and and I think he made a—you know—he really did make a terrific Bond. It's such a shame he only did two. Wish he'd done you know one or two more in ninety-one and ninety-three. I, I, you know. Perhaps this would have been. Perhaps it would have been best if this was, you know, his send off or whatever, and there were two other in the middle between this and. Yes. But you know, who knows? It's difficult to say. But yeah, I just want John Glenn. I mean, this this being his final film, a bit again, bit of a change for him. I know there are lots of elements that are that are quite like him, um, but um, you know, his his final film in the Bond in the Bond series. What what an absolute in terms of. You know the way that it's directed. I think he's got it. I think he's got it down to a T in terms of you know all the different elements that he's he's putting in. But the action, what he's famed for, the action in this film, the stunts, the practical stunts. You know, the um, the the sort of skydiving at the start, all that. The um, the absolutely incredible scene in the you know the wave crest and then onto the plane. Absolutely phenomenal. And and I mean the tanker chase. Some of the explosions and the yeah, that's there. tonight. The explosions were absolutely almost unbelievable. Whoa. So many explosions. Yeah, you almost felt like um, you know we were going to be be um, badly burned um, by you know the explosions themselves. Yeah, yeah. they were absolute, and obviously there's so much gasoline about that. Yeah, that things are blowing up left, right, and centre. But even the the head, the 
the temple was blowing up. Oh, Absolutely yeah. Absolutely huge it explosions. Is. But, yeah, the, the action, like you said, so much pace. And the, the story gets going right away. And that's one benefit of the... Um, the pre-title so we can linking to the plot it's just absolutely go from the off um, but what you know, I might be wrong in saying this but what John Glenn handles so well perhaps more than previous films is particularly in that first half an hour there's a few things intertwined there's like um, the stuff with Felix and Bond Felix and Della Sanchez and Lupe you know retrieving her him being spotted there's a few quite a few scenes that are intertwined going on at the same time keeping that pace it's not one whole scene then another whole scene yeah there's th- three or four on the go um, and it's so that's you know his direction and of course it's the editing and his awareness of how scenes can be edited and chopped together to build and keep the pace um, but yeah and you've already mentioned them but I just the stunts I the the idea when he from underwater harpoons the plane which propels him very yeah. much like Batman Begins which might have been um, talked about yeah absolutely um, propels him onto the well first of all it brings him to the surface so this you know this stunt of jet skiing without skis which is incredible and the way he swings around oh, to yeah. latch onto the plane is such a satisfying stunt where you can see exactly what he wants to do um, and you're, you want, you're watching a stuntman actually do it. Um, you know, can he swing around in time and when he gets there, can he grab onto the plane and he does it all. And then, of course, you know, some people might complain about Cayman's soundtrack sound, sounding like his other soundtrack, which I understand. But again, like Bill Conti, they, they use the Bond theme, they, they use the cues, they, they have their style, but they use the Bond theme at the right times. Um, and the Bond music to go with these stunts in the film is brilliant just like in the tankers the, the music that goes with the stunts is so impactful so impactful when there's proper life stunts going on yeah well, I, I, I mean you mentioned Christopher Nolan there I, I, you know even watching Living Daylights there's definitely action beats in it's certainly in his Dark Knight trilogy that are you know at the very least an homage to, yeah. to John Glenn's direction and the action stunts in this they are just breathtaking what such a great idea for um, for that final act to not be at a specific you know location necessarily oh. after they've left the um, you know yeah. the, the the drug setup, but to be on the road to be this tanker chases going from one to the other just working his way to Sanchez yeah and Oh, and you know the way Pam helps him out, and it's just—it is absolutely incredible. And you've mentioned, yeah, yeah, like there is no uh, the the end, yeah, the end set piece is actually a chase, a mode of transport with no specific location. Before that, I did the where the factory, the warehouse, the temple, the whole—it's quite underrated how Bond that is as yeah, a bad base, as a lay. You know, you've got the. The uh, helipad, well, the the floor that raises. Yeah. In a typical John Glenn, I think you know, using force perspective to, as a camera trick, um, where a helicopter comes in, and it's an amazing place that you see ex- exploding later, like we've said. And inside it, you know, it's got all those elements of huge tanks and things like that. And I thought, do you know what this for for a a a, a, a small revenge film following a drug dealer that. 
it's like the music. That's yeah. a Bond element. There is a bass at the end. Yeah, but yeah. You don't you don't get that in a lethal weapon. Or no, a, exactly. You know, yeah, you're right. Like but having said that, I think I turned to you or touched you. Or I have no idea. But when they were in that base at the end, and I just saw a tanker there parked because they're all parked yeah. there, ready to go. I just thought. <sighs> I cannot wait for everything that's still to come. Those tankers, just seeing one, reminds me and brings back all the excitement of of what those tankers do. I don't know how many... Are there four tankers? Yeah, four, I think. Um, it's an incredible idea. And it's not just an idea. They absolutely execute it unbelievably. They pull it off. So many things. It's it's fights on tankers, between tankers. Fights actually in the, the driving seat. It's missiles... Um, flying past them, it's exploding tankers, it's Bond using it, uh, doing only Bond, thi- only things Bond can do, like you know, doing wheelies or side things, yeah. whatever you call them. So much is done with those tankers, um, and it's also one of those end sequences where one by one Bond is whittling them down until it's just him and the villain. There are no yeah. more left, and and it's the villain who stays till the very end and. You know, is you the stingers have been used, everything, and the all the drug. You know, again, like throughout the film, the Bonders used the actual plot devices, like the gasoline-filled drugs, to actually get himself out of trouble to explode. So that yeah. literally, it's just him and the villain left. The villain's lost everything almost, um, and it makes us such a good climax to a film, such a good climax. Um, and I, I couldn't be. I couldn't have been more wowed seeing it on the big screen with all the explosions that we've talked about, incredible music. I, 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 I honestly don't know what to say. I did turn to you at one point and just say, you know, just look at this. Because, yeah. you know, in the, the, the terrain, Timothy Dalton on the dusty roads hanging on to the top of these tankers, it is unlike any other Bond film, that climax. It's unlike anything. Mm. Um, and... Just absolutely mesmeric. I, I thought it was absolutely wonderful. Yeah. Well, I just want to finish by paying tribute to you know Timothy Dalton again and John Glenn because their yeah. contributions are very significant. John Glenn, especially. You know, five of my favourite Bond films. Um, such a big part of the of the franchise, even before he became a director. You know, his involvement in other yeah. films before that. Um, and he's a terrific director, and my, I think, the best di- the director of the best Bond films and the best director of the films. Oh, yeah. You know, he's not a bit as big a name. Your average person wouldn't know who he is. He wouldn't ever be nominated for an Oscar, but my word, John Glenn deserves, let alone an, an MBA, OBE, or whatever, he deserves a knighthood. Yeah. And, and, oh, yeah. And thank you, John, for, for your contribution, and what a pleasure we, uh, we had in speaking to him. I cannot, I cannot add anything to that. It's, it's just his contribution and what he's left behind. The films that he's left behind are absolutely astonishingly good, and that's from the Sunday afternoon sitting in your living room level to the cinematic blockbuster level um, of James Bond going on these incredible missions in a completely exciting, fast-paced, exotic way. He's, I think, John Glenn is. He's got all the elements. You know, like you said, he's because he's been in the franchise, he's been involved for so many, through so many, he knows exactly how to tie all the elements together. Obviously, you've got your other directors who have returned and done three, you know, two or three, or three or four, but I think he is the director that ties all the elements together, the humour, the plot, the action, the pace, the romance. He's really good with the romance, the locations. He's the one 
that gets the balance right throughout um, and consistently. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. And obviously Martin Campbell coming next is excellent, but, you know, only John Glenn managed to do it consecutively and so consistently. Mm. And what what an incredible thing he's done for the franchise with this run of films. Well, thank you. It's going to be it's going to be difficult to uh, to almost get over this, but we've yeah. got we've got Goldeneye up next, as you mentioned, um, which is exciting. But for now, we just want to uh, revel in the glory yeah. of License to Kill. Yeah, incredible. So I've just come out of the cinema after watching License to Kill. I'm not going to talk for long because I think I've already done um, my thoughts on when we watched it, The Prince Charles with Tom and John Orty. However, I'm just so thankful for this series. I, I sat there tonight and um, from minute one, I just couldn't contain my joy. To be rooting for this this hero who is going against all the rules, but he's doing it with all the right conviction, who gets it wrong, but does it all for the right motive, who basically just goes on a one-man rampage to um, avenge his best friend. To be backed up by an unbelievable cast. I mean, Pam Bouvier has always been one of my absolute favourites. But oh my word, she is sensational. Q's best performance. Robert Darvey is, for me, my favourite villain. He is unbelievable. The score is my second favourite non-Barry score. On the big screen, just hearing some of the subtleties that I didn't hear before. But I could go on forever about all that. I just want to finish by saying I've got it wrong. I've been moaning too much about the Craig era and about um, where it's gone. And listen, I 100% agree. I'm not happy where it is. But it's just never going to live up to that. It's just never going to live up to that. And what I should do is just be thankful of what we have had for James Bond. And in my opinion, what climaxes with that. Just thank you, John Glenn. Thank you, Timothy Dalton. Thank you, Cubby Broccoli. Thank you, all the cast and crew that have been involved with this. For what is, for me, my favourite film of all time. Just thank you. Licence to Kill. I... I don't think I've got the vocabulary to talk about how much I love this. I think one of the reasons I love this so much is because across the entire bedrock of the franchise to that point and my understanding of it, you'd seen this formula rise and take firm root and, for me, you know, consistently deliver in a number of different incarnations. And then suddenly the, f- the formula was... I mean, it was just, like, jackknifed by this behemoth of a movie for me, which I just adore. And watching it, you know, in this way, uh, it was just a dream come true. Really, really, really was. From that opening, insane, (laughs) bombastic take on the gun barrel theme, like, I'm just in heaven, and I'm just on the edge of my seat, enjoying every second. Uh, Yeah, it's a funny one again, because it just brings out so much raw emotion in me, this, because this was like, Bond playing dark, Bond playing dirty. Forget everything that's gone since. This was Bond, the Bond who was very much dedicated to his job, very much dedicated and proud to do what he did, and then turning rogue because something at last 
had become bigger, bigger than the job and bigger than the service. I adore the movie. The action beats are absolutely astonishing. Some of the stunt work in this is the finest ever committed to film. Some of the performances, I think, are amongst the best in the entire entire franchise. I think Dalton is incredible. Um, he embodies um, a dark, roguish Bond for me. But I just b- believe in him. I just believe in this guy. And I believe in his plight. I believe in his journey. And I just want to root for him like mad. I think Pam is one of the greatest... Bond girls because she's absolutely kicking butt all over the place she's a great character with a great story of her own and she holds her own you know again uh, the Bond series gets hammered for putting women down I don't think I don't think this is the movie that does that I really don't um Talisa Soto as well you know she sort of again another very interesting character but for me she makes her plays for freedom um I, I, yeah, I love both of them in this film. But Pam has a special place um, because she's the first time I ever thought that this could be the, one, the woman that Bond would settle down with. I actually thought there was something real there, you know. Sanchez, Robert Darby, just the best villain for me because he's, he's like a, he's a match for Bond. He's Bond's equal, he's Bond's peer. In another life, they'd be best mates. It's just, I love the interplay between them, I love the chemistry between them. I love the brotherhood at times between them. I just I love the fact that Bond and the main villain <laughs> have this kind of relationship. Um, Anthony Stark as well. I've always loved the role of Truman Lodge. Always found him fascinating. This Wall Street dude who dropped out and moved across to, you know, I mean, arguably a lot of the Wall Street stuff is very naughty. But the stuff that he ends up doing here is seriously naughty. And I love all that. And I think Anthony Stark is absolutely astonishing in this. It's just wonderful. I, I love Cayman's score. Cayman's score gets hammered. Why? I don't understand why. It's a massive Bond theme. Massive Bond uh, Bond score. It's, it's not your most traditional one, but it works in this. And it's massive and it's over the top and I love it for that. And, you know, I just... I, yeah, you can see this means a lot to me. Uh, and I'm waxing completely lyrical um, about it. It's just perfect for me absolutely perfect and a big clear resolution start beginning middle and end all there on the screen for us to enjoy um real high stakes quite a real real world plot and fill and scheme no it's just it's just all wonderful it's just all wonderful and um i think i'm going to go and just get home and get the blu-ray and watch it all over again it's just that wonderful tim i wish you did a load more movies dude um but these two that you gave us, flipping heck, will, well, have we dined out on them enough? <laughs> no, we haven't. We're going to keep doing it. Um, and John Glenn, <sighs> knight that man immediately. Just knight him. Goodness gracious, mate. Peace and love, everyone. Wow, what a movie. You could stay here with me. Excuse me. Presidente will make a perfect couple.
so why don't you ask me? I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.